My name is Jenny Hinchcliffe, and this is Senders Receive, a podcast about mail, art, and the people who make it happen. Broadcasting from beautiful San Francisco while bringing you stories and experiences of postal moderns and mail art mavens. Let's go ahead and bring on the show. Hi, everybody. My name's Jenny Hinchcliffe, and I'm interviewing Maureen Foreys of Mailbait today. I'm really excited to jump into the interview, and first, I'll tell you a little bit about Maureen. Maureen Foreys has over 25 years of experience working in book publishing and graphic design. As the director of Book Design Collective Happenstance Typorama in Oakland, California, she is a respected expert in her field, focusing on book design and production. Maureen and Happenstance have received numerous awards for book design, including the titles The Art of Fermentation and Edible Inventions. Under the moniker Mailbait, Maureen publishes zines, artist stamps, and small press publishing projects. Her sly sense of humor and far-reaching knowledge of graphic design make her work instantly recognizable. Maureen's historical Women of Oakland, California artist stamps are in the permanent collections of the Bancroft Library and the San Francisco Public Library, among others. I'm excited to catch up with Maureen and share her work with Senders Receive listeners, and I know you're going to be inspired. Welcome, Maureen. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm super excited that you could come on the show and talk with us about your work today. Um, I'm super excited to be here because you're... (laughs) (laughs) It's like the mutual uh, adoration society here. Exactly. (laughs) So that being said, can you tell Senders Receive listeners a little bit about how you discovered mail art? And any of the first things that you may have sent through the mail? Yeah, I'm probably going to date myself here. I was thinking about this going down memory lane. And like many women in Gen X, of which I am one, (laughs) I suppose some of the boys got this too. In elementary school, we were assigned pen pals. Um, And so that was the first time I remember being so excited about getting a letter in my mom's mailbox and she brought it to me and it had a different stamp, mm-hmm. a different postmark. And it was uh-huh. this person that was from a different country. And of course, back then that was really hard to talk to anybody. I mean, like you had, that was, that was, we instantly can chat with anyone around the world now, but back then you really couldn't afford it unless you had a lot of money and yeah. new people abroad. Yeah. And so to get something like that just brought the world that much closer. So that was, third grade. I, I think mm-hmm. it was third grade that we did pen pals. I was trying to remember it was either third or fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that actually started me off sending letters back and forth to my young friends, even if we were still in San Diego, which is where I grew up um, uh-huh. or went to the same school, we would often send each other letters anyways. Uh-huh. Um, and that so your friends at, in grade school and middle school, mid, middle school, and then into high school, mm-hmm. Um, the, the sort of punk rock zine thing was starting to really hit in Southern California, right? um, with the LA punk scene. And a lot of that bled down to San Diego. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I was very interested in the scene and I met a number of friends there who, uh, 
we started sort of using that aesthetic to send letters back and forth to each other. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, we, we'd actually like get flyers and send, you know, notes back to each other, that kind of thing via the <laughs> mail. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. And a few of those continued all the way through college. Um, My friend Jermaine Sarda in particular uh, Mm -hmm. sent the most amazing correspondence to me. She was in San Diego. I was outside of Los Angeles and we, we would send each other something, you know, every week. I don't know if we knew it was mail art at that point. (laughs) Um, We just were sending highly decorated notes back and forth via the U.S. Postal yeah. Service. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, a couple of my other friends from college, we, we continued that through our 20s. And it really wasn't until my late 20s that I realized there was a whole world of mail art out there. So it was, yeah. uh, I think, like many of us, sort of an accidental um, entrance into this world. Right, right, right. And so in your late 20s, I mean, what was that aha moment? Do you remember? Um, I think the thing that I was looking at, um, was like the, I was working on a design project and I was looking through, um, some 1920s stuff. Um, and I was looking through some of the, specifically, I was looking for some of the pamphlets and stuff that the Dadaists had worked on. Mm -hmm. And I didn't Mm -hmm. actually know that much about them at that point you know, my art, my art school education was spotty. Like I took a bunch of art classes, but I didn't take art history. (laughs) So a lot of it was self-taught. And then I I got sort of really fascinated by that world. At the same time, um, I started really, because I was, and this is still true to this day, I spend so much time on the computer in my day job designing Mm -hmm. books that I, I was looking to do things that I didn't have to use the computer with. Yeah, um, right. And, uh, you know, some of my friends that I had those long correspondences with, we'd sort of dropped off. And I was like, oh, what is this world? And I started, I started sending stuff back and forth to them again. It was really sporadic. And it really wasn't until probably, I was trying to get the date on this, maybe the early 2000s. Mm, okay. Um, where I was finally introduced to the San Francisco Center for the Book, that I started um, really understanding that there was a, a big artistic connection to this and that there had this been a big history, especially in the Bay Area. Yeah. And it was like something I wanted to know more about. <laughs> right. <laughs> which eventually led me to you, which is amazing. So, uh, and that that really connected, you know, I took the cl- the mail art class with you. And then I started, and over the years, I'd done more reading and research, but it really wasn't until I took that mail art class with you and got connected to the online world that I was able to really fully immerse myself into mm-hmm. mail art. So, and really start to see all the various forms people were using to express themselves, <laughs> whether it was a postcard or a, you know, poster or you know, the rubber stamps or, you know, all of that. It it just, initial class I took with you was really the final access I needed to sort of peel back the curtain, so to speak. Yeah, the nudge. The nudge. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then what's appealing? I mean, what's appealing about the mail art process or or the scene? Well, I think 
Yeah, I mean, part of it is that it is such a democratic scene and mm. that early punk rock, you know, zine aesthetic and spirit also ties right into the male art world. Like, it, anybody can do it. You can make a piece of art out of anything and you can send it through the mail for a very inexpensive amount of money, right? right. And the other part of that is the network, right? The thing that excited me in fourth grade was like, wow, I get to connect with people I don't know. yeah. And I get a cool thing in the mail in return. And, you know, there's folks that I have relationships with that I never would have known any other way, Mm -hmm. regardless of the internet, that I met through a piece of mail and a continued correspondence. And so I love that part of it. I love being inspired by people's different styles and different takes on things. I mean, people definitely have, you know, they wonk out in certain directions and really... (laughs) And it's just inspiring because it can be like the, the same postcard call for entries in the, that we've all participated in. And then, and for those of you who don't, I mean, I think most of you know what a call for entries is, but it, for the folks who are still doing documentation, when you get all the yeah. collection or photocopy mm-hmm. of all those postcards back and you see how people responded to that brief, it's totally inspiring. <laughs> right. It is because everyone, you know, like we can all, you know, it's like you said, we all get the same call for entry, but we all interpret it really differently yeah. depending on our style or what we have access to. And so, yeah, that is really, really, I think, exciting about the mail art scene for sure, for sure. And it sent me down, and I, know, I think this is probably true for you too, but it sent me down paths artistically that I never would have gone down before. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've always been fascinated with collage, but it wasn't something I did like sort of like quick, you know, punk rock collage, cut out letters, that kind of stuff. But like the really high end, interesting things that people do that are they're so inspiring that I've been, you know, pecking away at that. I never would have gone down that route if I hadn't gone to, you know, some of those Sally Wasink postcards (laughs) in the mail. Right. It's so true. So have you, have you met any of your correspondents in person? I've met a number of them. I mean, one of the things that's most pleasurable about non-COVID times is that we live in San Francisco. And of course, I'm a fellow member of the San Francisco Correspondents Mm -hmm. Mm Co-op, a monthly meetup, which we've continued, you know, online, Mm -hmm. you know, you and me have continued that online. But many of the folks that I had correspondence with locally ended up being part of that co-op when it started nearly 10 years ago yeah so I mean that was amazing because that was kind of like oh wow you're my community and you live right here and now we're going to see each other once a month this is cool yeah so there's that and then there are a couple of international friends that I've made that I have actually met when I've taken my trips or vacations which is cool Mm -hmm. there's uh a couple different people that I met at Ex Postal Facto. I don't know mm. if we're, we're going to talk about that at all, which was a mail art meetup that you and I were part of planning that, mm. you know, I met some of those folks there that I had not corresponded with. And then we became good friends later because we continued yes. to correspond. So like Leslie Caldera, you know, which right, right. A creative thing down in LA. Yes. Orange County. I'm trying folks. to get creative yeah. thing to come on the show. Oh, he'd be amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has great stories, great stories. It is always a treat to meet the people you correspond with in person. And, you know, I've 
I've talked to a few different people about this, you know, pro or con, and and some people some people say it was amazing and you know when i when i met the person that i had corresponded with for so long they were even better in person but yeah and i i've heard stories on the flip side too mm. like oh you know it was kind of awkward and we didn't really have anything to talk about and you know so i kind i like to hear what people's experiences are around that if they've met people from their address list in person, you know? Yeah. Every, everything's been super positive for me so far. Um, but you know, talking and seeing someone in person is a very different medium and experience than, uh, sending something through the mail. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a protective filter of sending something, you can be whoever you want to be in the mail. Right. Yes, exactly. And you know, in a, in a previous interview with Amber, I think we talk about that, how, maybe it's Sally, but we talk about how, you know, when you're composing something, you're writing a postcard, you're putting together a piece of work specifically for somebody. It's almost like this performance, you know, it's a very, Mm. like you're on your side of it, you know, at your kitchen table or at your studio. And it's almost like you're creating this thing for this person, (laughs) you know, and, and when you meet them maybe in person, it, it can be a very different thing because, there isn't that shield. There isn't that veil of the artistic object. You know? Right. So. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have very specific personas that they. Yeah. yeah. Curated personas that they create mm-hmm. for online work. And some people have multiple ones and might correspond yeah. with very different people depending on what persona they're, they're using. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> I mean, in thinking of preparing for our conversation, I, I really think that one of the most important things for me is actually community um, mm-hmm. of this world. Um, because that's, that's who I am in most aspects of my life. I really like to know the community that and be a part of the community and give to the community as well as get back from the community that, of the things that I'm interested in, the things that I participate in this life. Yeah. Um, so that's been a super important aspect yeah. of male art and male to me over the years and, and real unexpected pleasure of, you know, that I actually do have so many friends from not only, not only the Bay area where we live, but also around the world from this world. Yeah. And uh, that would not have been possible if I hadn't started putting postcards. I tend to do postcards more than anything, but really you know, hand handmade postcards yeah. when I'm actually sending correspondence in the mail um, yeah. and getting those back. Why do you prefer postcards? I think I prefer postcards because whenever I'm traveling, I throw some, I pre-cut some or get some pre-cut ones and I just throw them in my bag Yep, along with a little travel art kit. And that right. way I can, you know, pick up ephemera and whatnot from, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. from wherever I am and, and create things on the fly that way. Yeah. I really enjoy that process. But I also think that I like the, I like to have a few of my most recent things up. And so I like the symmetry of putting the postcards together in like a little gallery on my wall, my physical wall. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And and seeing what the latest, the latest is because people tend to reply and send back what you've sent to them. Right. I, I found that interesting. Have you noticed that? Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. They sort of take your lead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> t- 
totally. <laughs> so I like that. I, I think they're, they're fun and they're easy just to always be able to send a postcard. Not to yeah. say that I haven't had sent other things in the mail. For a while, I was really into sending little booklets in the mail and things like mm -hmm. that. But mm -hmm. yeah. recently, it's been postcards. Yeah. I think also because postcards are also so portable, you know? Like, mm. I can have a bunch in my bag and, you know, back when <laughs> back <laughs> when I wasn't strictly working from home, you know, and I had a commute, I would, man, I would just write postcards all the time because it's easy yeah. and, you know. It's just way more in sync with kind of how I work and, and stuff. Yeah, I love the postcard. I love the postcard. <laughs> ah, the mighty postcard. The mighty postcard. <laughs> so can, can we talk a little bit about your, your artist stamps? Yes, we can. Okay, so for listeners who might not know, you have been working on probably over the past I would say five or six years, if not longer, a series of artist stamps titled Historical Women of Oakland, California. It's true. And this is, it's, I mean, I have to say, like, these are some of my favorite artist stamps that I've seen in a long, long time. And they're amazing tributes to, you know, the, the wonderful and powerful women who have made your adopted hometown the the vibrant and diverse city that it is mm. so I'm hoping that you can talk a little bit about what jump-started the project for you and <laughs> how do you decide who to feature mm. you know, as a commemorative stamp sheet yeah it's a good question a couple good questions I'll start at the beginning yeah please the original idea for this, which is often true when I'm creating some of my other work that aren't postcards, like some of my booklets and things like that, was really a political response to the clamping down of women's rights across the country during the, by the Republican Congress and state Republican legislatures. The thing that really sent me over the edge was the vaginal probe law in Virginia to mm -hmm. let a woman to get a, an abortion. They had to go through this very invasive thing. And I just, I was at this tipping point of frustration and anger that it was the 21st century and we were still dealing with these draconian laws and not being equal. And I wanted to do something positive in response to that rather than just be angry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's plenty of things in this world to be angry about. Um, at the same time, uh, I had been really getting into creating artist stamps for the first time and experimenting with that form. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna, <laughs> I live in a place that has an amazing feminist history, has amazing equal rights, civil rights history. And at first I was actually going to to study women who had made a mark, a difference in whatever way that meant. I wasn't going to limit what that meant in the Bay Area. But then as I started doing research, I realized I didn't even have to leave Oakland. Mm. Wow. And Oakland is, is an interesting city. It, you know, it's one of the most diverse cities in the country. You know, it, it seems to flip back and forth with us in Long Beach. It has had the most general strikes of any city in the entire Wow. country. Um, it is a place that has always made things happen. 
people mm-hmm. of the, are the ones that have made things happen, though, in really inspiring ways. Mm-hmm. And so as I started doing my research about women who made a difference and made it possible for not just other women, but, you know, entire communities to thrive yeah. rather than, you know, restrict communities. That's, that's what I was really looking for. I was like, how, how are these people opened up avenues for people to experience whatever it is that they specialize in in their life? That's where I started looking. And then the other thing I was thinking about was what I also, you know, there's, there's plenty of famous women that have come from this town, but there, I really also wanted to focus on women that people might not know about. Ah, because there's a bunch of amazing people in, in her story that have come from this place too, or at least made their mark in this place. Mm-hmm. So that's how it all started. It was a, <laughs> I was trying to turn some anger into some positivity. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us the names of some of the women in the sheets that you've created? Yeah. So the first two I did were actually somewhat famous women. Julia Morgan, Mm -hmm. famous architect, and Ina Kulbreth, which I don't know if everyone knows who she is, but she was uh, California's poet laureate and had started a poetry circle that to this day still exists that people are part of. And so I, I chose those two because their, their work really speaks to me to this day. I mean, I live in Oakland and everywhere I go, I see Julia Morgan architecture yeah. and uh, Ina Colbert's <laughs> uh, stamp in terms of the arts in not just Oakland, but also the whole Bay Area is still, still extant mm-hmm. um, from, you know, Mills College to the writer's circle. So that's who I started with. Um, and uh, both of them were total trailblazers like uh julia morgan was a female architect in the early part of the 20th century it was almost unheard of and Mm -hmm. yet her work is everywhere yeah and um with ina you know she and her mom actually uh escaped um mormon marriage and came overland with a guide over the sierras Mm -hmm. to get here to actually be able to start their own life so She had this brave mom, and then she ended up making all of these beautiful things happen. The first public li- first public librarian here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it just never ends. Yeah. <laughs> so those were my first two. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Those two sheets. And then who would you go on to highlight? After that, I did um, – I really wanted to focus on some lesser-known women. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, Delilah B. Beasley was my next, mm-hmm. my next um, artist stamp, and she was the first woman to, black American woman to have her own column, and it was at the uh, um, Oakland Tribune. She also wrote, researched this incredible document um, called the Negro Trailblazers of California, yeah. and she didn't have a lot of money. She did this all on her own where she went up and down California and interviewed um, black Americans that had made it to California and got their story written down. I mean, Mm -hmm. this uh, document tells us so much about early black life in California. Nobody else had done it. Um, So she was super inspiring. Um, And that she was a perfect example of, you know, uh, people making things happen in this town. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> even way back then. Yeah. Um, and then uh, another woman I did in the, cause I, I, I tend to do these in series of two, at least I did at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, was a woman called Esther Mabry and she actually just passed away like two or three years ago. She, I guess it was 2010 already now that I'm thinking about it, but she had Esther's orbit room in West Oakland and it was one of the last remaining blues clubs Hmm. um, in Oakland. And, you know, there used to be so much uh, music here, art, jazz and blues and Mm -hmm. and music like that. And, and most of that, most of those closed and her, her bar, she was behind the bar until almost the very end. And she, the people were coming through to her bar until like three or four years, like she was there three or four years before she passed away and her family wow. took, took over. So it was wow. so cool because I mean, this was like a place that in the old days, like Billie Holiday and Aretha Franklin mm-hmm. came through and BB wow. King, you know, they all played there. And yeah. the fact that the, it unfortunately is, you know, not open anymore, but it, that it made it that long and was such a, a important remnant of, of that once thriving music scene in West Oakland was I just wanted to honor her for hanging on and making it happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's incredible. So then how do you, how do you decide who you're going to? You know, it's, it's funny because there, there seems to be a never ending, which is amazing, right? I live in this town where there's so (laughs) many women to choose from that sometimes it's hard to choose. Uh Um, I more recently have been concentrating on the lesser known women that have made large contributions to the city that people might not even realize that they are experiencing a certain thing or able to do a certain thing because of, of these women. Mm-hmm. Um, or just for whatever reason, you know, they, they, they weren't, they aren't well known. I just mm-hmm. want them to have their own stamp, you know, <laughs> Right. <laughs> like if I were in charge at the USPS. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> How often do we hear that? So often. So yeah. often. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, it, it is difficult to decide. I have a running, I have a running tally. Um, some women are easier to research than others. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. Especially if they're not super well-known, you've got to really dig deep. Yeah. But, um, that I, I, there's a few, you know, really well-known people that I, I wanted to make sure got on these stamps too. But really, I would say that going forward, majority are going to be lesser-known women. Um, yeah. There's still a couple big hitters I want to do eventually. So far, I haven't done anybody that's alive. Um, uh, and some of the big hitters I want to do are thankfully and wonderfully still alive. But I, yeah, I actually yeah. haven't figured out how, you know, how I want to attack that. Mm-hmm. So far, it is. It's been folks that have passed on and left yeah. their mark. Yeah. So then, that sort of begs the question: your your stamp sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, you you perforate them yourself using. I do. Use yeah. So using a Harold and Sons perforator, which is British, right, from the eighteen eighties. It is. And so you repaired and restored this perforator, this Harold and Sons, um, which <laughs> it's definitely a labor of love, I know, because I saw the process while it was happening. Yeah. And so could you share that process just with Yeah, I mean, it's not, 
100% restored. It's restored enough that I can, that it works well. Uh Um, Uh It's interesting because, you know, in America, most folks have a Rossback. Yeah, if they have anything. If they have a perforator, they're going to have a Rossback, which of course is still extant as a company today, thankfully. Yes. Um, This Harold and Sons is a bit of an outlier. And uh, we, you know, you're the one who originally heard about this um, disassembled perforator that needed a home and some love. Nobody's quite know, knows how it even got here. <laughs> how did it cross yeah. the pond? <laughs> I know. It's true. Yeah. Um, I do not know. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's a bit of a mystery. The thing is the company Harold and Sons was a very well-known company, a manufacturer of all sorts of different machines. Um, but they definitely specialized in stamp perforation machines. Did they do other like bindery related equipment? They did a ton of different kinds of machines. Okay. Yeah, they did binding, they did perforation, mm-hmm. they did folding machines, they did everything. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But it's hard to find tons of information. I mean, there's the, the one book that we managed to find at yeah. the Bancroft. <laughs> yeah. And online, when I was in the process of trying to find information, um, I managed to find a brochure from a little bit later than I think my machine is from, maybe like five or 10 years later. Okay. Which helped me understand what I might be missing. Oh, Um, okay. But really, the folks, there's there's just a couple people that really came through. I mean, you you helped me go through an inventory at all and get it, you know, over to my house and then... Mm -hmm. Once it got here, I was sort of cleaning it and trying to put it together. And um, my good friend, Lisa Beth Robinson, was coming out for a visit. And she's a artist in her own right. She's a letterpress printer and bookbinder and also makes a little mail art now and then. Mm-hmm. And she was out for a week or 10 days. And so she's like, let's put this thing together. I'm like, cool. I mean, I blocked off the time. Let's do it. But she also was sort of mystified by the how a few of the things worked, like you know, it's a pretty simple machine. It makes holes in paper, yeah. but it, it doesn't look anything like the Rossbacks. Like the mechanism yeah. is totally different. No. So we ended up putting a, putting a post on Briar Press, yes, um, which is a letterpress online community. Mm-hmm. And there were some folks that really came through there um, with some suggestions. Mm-hmm. I talked to Chad at the San Francisco Center for the mm-hmm. Book. He mm-hmm. had some ideas. Lisa Beth also put word out on the wire to a couple of her super wonky old machine guys that she knows. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. really love this stuff. <laughs> who, who love a challenge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and between all of those sources and also just us sitting there oiling and cleaning and like, yep. you know, trial and error, like, does this fit together? What happens if we put this together and does, can we now make holes in paper? Nope. Okay. Yeah, what yeah. are we doing wrong? Uh, after a ba- basically almost a straight week of this, we got it working. The thing that I still need to figure out that is very challenging is that it is missing its springs. And so right now I have uh, a bungee cord workaround mm-hmm. that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But it is hard to know what tension I need and what size I need. Yeah. And I have a vague picture from that brochure that is hand-drawn and that's about it. Oh, wow. Okay. So it is like, you know, 95% there. 
I can yeah. definitely make great holes in paper, but <laughs> right. one of these days I'm going to figure out how to put those springs in <laughs> right? <laughs> or have exactly. some manufactured or something. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, so this is where we put out the call to senders receive listeners. If anyone knows anything about Harold and Sons perforators from Great Britain, especially about the springs, because the spring, the spring connects the pedal, right? And the pedal lowers no, that is how it's very different from a Rossback. Rossbacks oh. tend to have either that one or two big springs in the back yep. that connect them. Yeah. This yeah. actually seems to have two. There's a tension bar, and it seems mm-hmm. to have. Um, it seems to want two springs there, so that it basically helps the tension bar come back up. So I have the tension oh, bar installed, but okay. I don't have those springs that help it come back up. Mm-hmm. And I've tried a few, and so far have. It hasn't done anything to help. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's hurt. <laughs> there also is two, there are two little holes near the foot pedal that yeah. may also have had some sort of spring situation. Hmm. Those seem less important than the ones in the tension bar that hold the, the teeth. So um, that's why I ha- I'm back with the bungee cords right now. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Well, we'll keep working on it. Yes, we'll we will. We'll figure something out. Her name <laughs> is Matilda. For anybody oh. who wants to help out Matilda. Oh. Matilda needs springs. <laughs> she needs if a little pep. If you know pep, what she needs. A little pep yep. in her step. <laughs> she does. <laughs> well, we've put it out there, so who knows? There yep. may be someone who's an expert on Harold and Sons. There might be. There has to be. There's I know you're be. out there. I know you're out there. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great problem. I mean, it's a great problem to work on. And the fact yeah. that I'm able to use it now and it's restored and it's, it's here. I mean, yeah. It's so pretty. My dad actually helped out too. He, there were clearly, oh. um, you know, uh, mahogany pieces that went on top so that you could, you could square up your sheets. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so he actually went ahead and got a couple pieces of scrap mahogany and sanded them down and made them really tight. And we figured out how to put them on so that they can move up and down and left and right so that we can square square things up, which is cool. So great. Wow. So not only did friends help, but family helped yeah. with the process. I love that. I, you know, you know, my dad, he's actually yeah. a retired engineer. So like he was very fascinated <laughs> by this machine. <laughs> right. He also loves a challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so um, we, should we talk about Good Mail Day? Do you want to talk about Good Mail Day? Sure. Uh, when do I always know? like to talk about my Good Mail Day. <laughs> oh no, I always <laughs> like talking about that book. So you and I first really got to know each other on the Good Mail Day project, the book. Um, it was our it was our first book together, but certainly not our last. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how your day job as a book designer, how does that influence what you do kind of in the mail art world and your aesthetic? Yes. So a couple of things to unpack. First of all, Good Mail Day, for those of you who don't know, is an amazing book that I was so honored to work on because it was, I got to put my two worlds together. I got to put book design together and my love of mail art together and do it with friends, (laughs) like (laughs) fantasy project. (laughs) Right. How often does that happen, Maureen? Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, not that often. Um, you know, design brief. Go find postal ephemera and put it all over these pages. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love to. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was an amazing opportunity. Uh, and it was such a privilege to, and so much fun to get to put what you'd written down onto the pages and then make it look awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, right back at you. I mean, you are, it's always such a treat to work with you on book projects. We've worked on a couple now, um, Good Mail Day and the Mail Art Book Catalog, and we've mm. done zines and things together. And so, um, not only do you make it easy, you make it so fun. <laughs> Ditto. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it, it is, uh, I love book design. Um, the name of my collective, Happenstance Typerama, is uh, a very long name, but tells every, tells you everything you need to know about how I got into that part of my work world. I actually happened into book design. I started at a company that I, where I was a proofreader because hmm. my degree was basically English and art. So I was using the English part. <laughs> <laughs> but then I uh, was plucked over to the art department by a woman named Fran who basically gave me a crash course in design. It was the early 90s and Photoshop 1.0 just come out. Wow. Quark yeah. 1.0 had just come out. And <laughs> They also had these still giant um, machines that would that would actually they didn't have any hot metal type there anymore, but they did have cold type and big copy cameras. And so I got to learn sort yeah. of the tail end of that period, too. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's how I happened into it. And that's the happenstance. The typorama part is that I became very quickly a typography nerd. <laughs> I like everything about type from punctuation yeah. to the history to uh, myriad beautiful fonts that I can pour over endlessly when I'm crafting a design. So that, when I get to marry that with my mail art world, that definitely is part of it. Um, I, the foundation of good book design is also just the foundation of good design. And so yeah, those, those loves end up in my postal projects as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Can you tell us about Mailbait? I can. So Mailbait, Mailbait is actually this, um, I stole the name. I ended up through one of our mutual acquaintances through the co-op, ended up getting this box of old stationery that was called Mailbait. And I was like, how, do, how is nobody using this? And it was from the fifties <laughs> and the typography was totally awesome. Hand-drawn wow. mid-century typography. And I was like, I, wow. This is going to be my male moniker. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> it just was like screaming everything that I wow. love. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow, wow. So I decided to actually like move stuff out of like my professional work and give it its own channel. <laughs> so yeah. as we say these days. Yeah. Wow. And I always, whenever I see amazing design like that, that is a great pun or a crazy play on words, I always think who the hell came up with this? Like <laughs> who in art department approved it? Like that's amazing. You know, mail bait. Mail bait. So who good. thought of that? And you know, and I, 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 I think 
is it Cody? My husband, Cody, when we were fiddling around with the name and coming up with it, he came up with this, you know, he continued the story. He's like, came up with this, uh, this tagline for it. Her, her mother was a carrier. Her father was a stamp, you know, to like <laughs> play, play on that sort of mid-century wow, ridiculous, yeah. ridiculousness. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like you can see the soap opera ads already. I know. <laughs> Yeah, but like what art department approved that on this yeah. random box of stationery from clearly to me it's the late 50s. Yeah. Type yeah. Of, yeah. So, wow. I wish I knew. <laughs> I never was able to find anything online. I have looked. So, if any of you mm. out there know, if anybody else has ever seen Mailbait, this I've yeah. never even seen it again. Just this one this box of stationery. I would yeah. love to know the story behind that. Yeah, what does the rest of that line look like for the season? Yeah, exactly. Because you know? I really want the whole season. If it, that that one <laughs> box was so cool. <laughs> for your letter writing teen, circa nineteen fifty seven. You know exactly. Like mail bait. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so, if we're talking about mail bait, we're probably also talking about working in the studio. Yeah. yeah. And so, do you have a favorite? tool or technique that you like what's your fave so I'm a I'm a funny sort of um both digital and hands-on kind of girl yeah um because so much of my I'm I both love the computer and hate the computer but I, it's also <laughs> like I'm, it's my it's I know all those tools that I use the InDesign and Illustrator and Photoshop so well yeah that, yeah that I tend to start there Mm-hmm. And then do something to it once I get it onto paper. Um, I rarely start from a hand-drawn thing mm-hmm. or a hand-folded thing. I usually really do start in in my in my computer and then and then like to explore where that sort of digital and handmade world intersects. Mm-hmm. Not just with the stamps, but, you know, some of the other projects we've worked on together, too. You've seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like your Valentine's. It's a fascinating world to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. your Valentine's, yearly Valentine's are a good example of that, I think. Yeah, so I, like, design those, but then print them out and round the corners and yeah. add a stamp or two to them or, you know. Right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> as much as I hate to say it. <laughs> My computer, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I always start there. Yes, yes, <laughs> Where yes. my fonts live and that's, but in terms of what I have out here, um, in the, the physical world, of course, my perforator is like my most favorite thing, but um, uh-huh. I love that. I love, uh, and you've been so supportive in helping me find the tools for my studio, but I love the pamphlet stapler oh, yeah. a lot. yeah. And I really love the corner rounder tool that I have. Those are probably the ones I use the most, those three things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That that saddle stapler is awesome. It's it really is. Like you, I use mine all the time. (laughs) Um yeah. And then the other thing that I guess is the embellishment aspect is I mean, I know you and I both have this uh problem. The rubber stamps, oh. <laughs> the rubber stamps, you know, I love, I love weird, interesting rubber stamps so much. Yeah. And I know you do too. Yeah. So yeah. I'd like to, um, 
<laughs> I, I like to actually like take either sometimes take those into consideration if I'm designing digitally yeah. first or oh, just like neat. do something atrocious, seemingly atrocious to this really nicely designed something, you know, <laughs> with these wacky rubber stamps. I do yeah. try and I often keep them in mind though with my projects. Uh-huh. So yeah. <laughs> what would what would be an example of like an atrociously designed something or other that you have corrected? So well, I don't know if this is one of my uh, in 2016, I actually, this is where I actually didn't start on the computer. I did my, um, FU 2016 New Year's card, um, after <laughs> Donald Trump got elected. Uh, yeah. for those of you who haven't figured this out yet, I'm pretty left wing. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I like to, I like to express myself politically. <laughs> so, um, I took this amazing rubber stamp that I got from Le Tempographe Sardon, who you and I both love. He has mm -hmm. this amazing studio in Paris near Père Lachaise Cemetery. He's actually a buddy of mine I've gotten to know over the years. That's another person like that I would not have gotten to know without mail art. And he makes this amazing middle finger rubber stamp. In French, <laughs> it's le, le doigt majeur, which is the major finger, <laughs> as they call it. So I stamped that on a card and then scanned it and then ran out a bunch of those on my printer and then mm -hmm. embellished that further with more little middle fingers and other, other, um, uh, very sometimes explicit <laughs> stamps, <laughs> but it's still one of my most favorite New Year's cards ever. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Will you do a revised 2021? You know, I was going to do one for 2020. Um, yeah. I've just been out. I have to say, I mean, I know this is not uncommon, but my creativity has been hard to come by during COVID. Mm -hmm. I, any, any creativity that I have in the last few months has gone to my day job. Um, but I feel it's coming back. I definitely feel it coming back. I was hoping to do one for 2020, for 2021. Yeah. Um, I still might. I had an idea, but uh, yeah. baby steps. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Baby steps. It's been. I know. It's been a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I really do. I feel lighter, and the thing that I know, the reason I think I know things are happening is that um, I do all of my thinking in the shower in the morning, where I'm sort of half asleep. Mm, yeah. I don't know if you've ever read Anais Nin's treatise um, on creativity. It's called "It's Proceed from the Dream Outward," but that is very oh. much how my creative brain works. Like. Wow. I work things out overnight in my head while I'm sleeping and then they mm -hmm. kind of just bubble up while I'm standing there in the shower. Sometimes I wish I could just plug something into my head and have it dump onto a typewriter or, you know, <laughs> or document or something. Right. But that, you know, until recently, um, that wasn't happening. There wasn't much going on. And then the last couple months, like there's been a lot of ideas happening. So it's bubbling. <laughs> That's good. And that has to turn into That's something great. eventually. Yeah, 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 exactly. Do you write things down? Sometimes I have, you know, about 25 journals here and there <laughs> with <laughs> notes. I'm very bad at that. Like some people, I admire some people so much for being like the amazing note taker. I mean, Cody, my yeah. husband does that. He's a poet. He's always got these notebooks with things going in chronological order. I tend to jot things down for a while and then stop and then do it again yeah I did do this yeah. one project a couple of years ago that was pretty awesome where I'd come down and on the typewriter 
type mm-hmm. for like 10 or 15 minutes. I and remember then, that project. Yeah. And then send it off to our, our mutual friend, Kate Kaminsky, and she was doing the yeah. same thing. I was keeping a copy. That was a cool daily practice. And we kind of, we made it about six months before it petered out. I was thinking yeah. about that the other day. I'm like, maybe I need to do that again. Yeah. Was that a, was a great typewriter project. It was a great typewriter project. Also, I liked that it was on the typewriter and not on the computer because the computer is distracting. Mm-hmm. The computer mm-hmm. has email. The computer has texts. Right. Typewriter is just me and the typewriter and the piece of whatever I've yeah. rolled into the carriage. <laughs> right, right. And also, you know, like the computer, you can edit an email really easily, but the typewriter, mm. you have to actually focus and think about what exactly. you're going to type, you know? Yeah, it really does. It's, I think it activates a different part of the brain. Yeah, you can't be distracted. You have to be all in. <laughs> Especially if you haven't typed in a while, which most right? people haven't. <laughs> I learned on a typewriter, but, yeah. you know, it went very yeah. quickly to computers. So, yeah. Yeah. So then the typewriter project makes me wonder, do you have any upcoming projects? Well, like I postal do projects? actually have a new... It's been a process, but I do actually have a new um, artist stamp sheet, which you know about, but I've, you know, it's finished now and I need to Uh perforate some, but it's um, Tony Stone, who Tell us about Tony. Tony was so cool. Tony was the first woman to play professional baseball. There ended up being three women that played professional baseball. In the country? In the country. Okay. So she was the first. She was the first. They were okay. all about the same time. They were in um, what were called the Negro Leagues, which mm-hmm. this was before baseball had been integrated. And um, so there were these um, the whole set of black Americans playing baseball. Mm-hmm. And they actually really were all, they were having to travel all the time to drum up business. And so they ended up hiring her almost as a gimmick because hmm. they really wanted to get seats in the bleachers to watch baseball. Oh, but then okay. she could really play. So she actually ended up being a real asset to the team. Wow. Um, she eventually ended up out here in the Bay Area. She actually, she lived in in, um, in Oakland. She ended up in, the, in San Francisco first and then over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she stopped playing, she actually coached over here. So she oh, kept wow. it going. Wow. But She's like, she's so cool. She played briefly for the San Francisco Seals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go drive by her. I know exactly where her house is in West Oakland. You can go drive by and wave. Wow. So so I have that ready to go. Uh, it's, yeah. an, it's a tough perforation because I made it the stamps in the shape of a baseball diamond. Oh, stop it. That's amazing. But uh, yeah, so I got to get the tape set up on the, on the good old yeah. perforator and get that. Yeah, yeah. Get that going but yeah that's the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to perforate those bad boys yeah um, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with it um <clears throat> I started it before the pandemic and then uh, got it mostly finished and then I stopped for a while and then I took a look at it recently and I was like oh yeah I just tweaked a couple of things and now I'm ready yeah. to ready to print it yeah print Ooh, it I can first. hardly wait to see them <laughs> So I'll, when I when I do actually have them ready and perforated, I'll make sure to to put uh, put it online. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, then, so that also begs the question, how can people see your work? How do they connect with you? So I pretty much just put everything on an Instagram feed these days, Um, (laughs) which is Mailbait. Um, So you can find me at Mailbait on Instagram. Um, I don't have like a online store or anything prior to this stay at home business, you know, um, you and I would often go vend at various events together. Mm -hmm. And since these stamps particularly are most interesting to Bay area folks, those, that was a good venue for me. So I never did get together a a website though. I have been thinking about that again too. Like I really should Mm -hmm. get that up on a website, but for the time being, you can find me on Instagram and send me a message. Yeah. I'll, I'll put that information in the show notes, too, so people can check it out. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're coming up on an hour here, believe it or not. <laughs> the time flies. It goes so The time fast. flies. I completely believe it because it's us. <laughs> yeah, but. <All> right. <laughs> oh, no. Um, do you, I mean, do you have any lovely wrap-up, you know, like thoughts or words? I I would just say that, you know, right now is a great, if you've ever been wondering about how to get cool things in your mailbox that aren't bills or junk mail circulars, um, you should definitely start sending things out to people because you will get cool stuff in the mail and find yourself a new community. And in these isolating times that we're hopefully starting to come out of, you know, with the vaccines and everything is really gratifying and can really make a rough day, a suddenly beautiful day to walk out to your mailbox and get something from somebody else around the world and remind, remind, it's a reminder that you're not as isolated as you think you are because we've all been there, you know, this has not been an easy time. So yeah. You know, make somebody else's day, send them a postcard, and then you'll get something back, I bet. Yeah. 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 That's a great place to, that's a great thought to leave listeners with, because I think it really um, not only embodies the idea of the mail art community and the network, but, you know, also um, just the idea of senders receive and that mail art philosophy and what's going on. So yeah, that's a great one to end on. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, I will just say, as always, it is such a pleasure to spend the time talking with you and uh, being inspired by you and hearing about what you're up to. And I just always love catching up with you. I would say that. Exact same thing right back at you, my dear. <laughs> I can't believe it's been an hour. The time. Oh my through. gosh. I know it goes so fast, but promise really me does. that, that we can have you back on the show again. Of course. It would be oh. a pleasure. Anytime. Good. good, good. I'll be here. That would be great. That would be great. All right. Well, I guess on that note, we'll wrap it up for senders receive listeners. Thanks as always for listening And um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Maureen of Mailbait, for joining us today, spending the time talking uh, with us about your work. And Senders Receive will be back in two to three weeks with an all-new episode. So thank you very much, and bye for now.
Bye. Senders Receive is recorded, edited, and hosted by Jenny Hinchcliffe, with many, many thanks to the contributors, artists, and interview subjects of Senders Receive. Our intro-outro music is by Kitsa and used as per the artist's Creative Commons terms. Additional info can be found in the show notes. If you're a male artist or postal modern interested in being interviewed for Senders Receive, I invite you to send an email to sendersreceivepodcast at gmail.com. Keep current on new episodes at our Instagram account, at sendersreceivepodcast. That's all for now, and thanks for listening.